This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Western wildfires have caused a lot of headaches for agencies like FEMA who've got to respond. But house fires remain the most common form of fire each year, and FEMA keeps close track on house fires, too. Here with some recent statistics and how the agency gathers it, the acting U.S. Fire Administrator, Tanya Hoover. Ms. Hoover, good to have you on. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure and an honor to be with you. Now, the Fire Administration is not the responder here, but you do kind of follow what's going on with the federal response. Just give us, before we get to the house fire question, what is the status of wildfires at this moment? The status of wildfires across the country, we still have active burning. We keep uh, close tabs on that because of our relationship with our state, local, tribal, and territorial partners uh, and being an advocate for uh, local government and, and state government fire services. But I can tell you, based on information coming out of the National Wildland Fire Preparedness or out of what we call the uh, National Interagency Fire Center, we are at uh, preparedness level two right now. That is somewhat of a good sign in that we were at the highest level of a five, and over the last uh, month, we've been able to reduce that to, or they've been able to reduce that to a two, but that still means that there are more large wildfires burning throughout the country, which are requiring resources to mobilize in different areas. So basically, we are still pulling resources from all over the country to address wildfires, not just on the West Coast, but uh, throughout the U.S. Well, let's hope they all have a good rainy season and very soon. And just a detailed question as we get to the statistics that FEMA and your agency keeps on house fires. If a wildfire burns a house, does that get counted in the house fire count? It can be counted. And so this is where the the need to do an in-depth analysis on information that is being uh, provided to what we call our National Fire Incident Reporting System, where we come in when we gather that information from our state and local partners, a look at that so that we're not double counting uh, information. Sure, because anytime something happens, you know, 27 people now with cell phones call 911. So it's got a lot of incidents seem to happen many, many times. Well, tell us how the data is collected on house fires by the fire administration. Data is collected on house fires using our National Fire Incident Reporting System, which is commonly called ENFERS. And ENFERS is a collection standard. So in other words, it, it, it provides an opportunity for information coming in. Apples are apples and oranges are oranges, as we like to say. But that information actually comes from our state and local partners. So there are a couple ways that we get information into the Enfer system. Uh, We do have jurisdictions that will take their their run information or their response information and directly put that into the Enfer system. But most commonly, uh, local government will upload their response information into their state system, and that state system then uploads into the federal system Enfers. It's not USFA information. It's actually information coming from local government to the federal government. And you mentioned that it's a reporting standard so that the causes, the amount of damage, any fatalities or injuries, everyone's reporting common information. Is that fair to say? Yes, that's the intent. Now, keeping in mind that um, there are you know over 24,000 fire departments that report into ENFERS, that's uh, great numbers. Uh, we think we can always do better. I'm 
pretty sure there's probably more than 24,000 fire departments. Um, so we, when someone does their reporting and we, they are using coding to report certain things, we want to make sure that we're educating people about the correct codes to use when they're inputting their information into the Ampher system. We're speaking with Tanya Hoover. She's the acting U.S. Fire Administrator and the overall agency there is FEMA. What are the trends in house fires? What kinds of trends do you look for? And does the quality and location and cause of fires change over time? Yes, they do. And we constantly study trends. Um, It is part of that data-driven decision-making that's so critical to our program areas. So we want to keep account on trends and, and take deep dives. So from If we look at a a 10-year period from 2010 to 2019, because 2019 is our current total data collection, Mm -hmm. we're still receiving information for 2020, we have a 10-year trend of residential fires that are showing less than a 1% decrease in fires with a 14% increase in deaths. So what does that mean? Well, we're seeing a decrease in fires, a small decrease in fires. But there's another part of that story. And that other part is we're seeing an increase in deaths. And in 2018 and 19, there were, multi, there were several multi-fatality fires that can very well contribute to that overall increase. That's why it's important to do a deep analysis of the data coming in. We're also seeing a 16% decrease in injuries. That's good. But we're seeing a 6% increase in dollar losses as that's adjusted to 2019 dollars. Sure. So the increase in fatalities would at first glance maybe seem to say that there are more multifamily house fires. The the fatal fires tend to be in multifamily dwellings. Well, it could say that. But what we believe it's saying is that we are seeing more multifatality fires. So... It could very well be a single family with multiple people in the structure. That's why the deep dive into that information is really important. What does it really tell us? But what folks want to grab hold of is that, well, you've got a decrease in fires. That's true. And we're doing a really good job with children fire fatalities. But we're seeing a large increase in our elderly population and also an increase in elderly population for injuries. But again, that deep dive tells us that we're having more multi-fatality fires going on. And so we want to track that closely. And what about the causes of residential fires? Causes in residential fires, what we're seeing is that uh, cooking, 31% is still the leading cause of residential fires resulting in injuries. We have been talking about cooking fires for years, and the reason why we stay focused on cooking fires is because the data consistently shows us that cooking in the reports that we're receiving is still the leading cause of those residential fires. I imagine over time this data then can be used, it's gathered nationally, federally, but I imagine local fire departments can use it to inform their kinds of prevention mechanisms, the outreach they do to the public to make sure they can have some control over what's going on. Absolutely. I mentioned earlier about data-driven decisions. And at the federal level, we use it for program analysis. We use it to inform our federal partners and also inform uh, the legislature. But at a local and state level, that information gets used when helping set priorities and targeting resources. 
for designing, as you mentioned, programs, educational programs, tracking EMS activities, uh, trying to address those real emergency problems at a local level. And it goes back to as a, a community looks at their community risk reduction and actually to, to really understand community risk, that's all within the data. So that's used heavily uh, by local government. At a state level, of course, states can use this for uh, legislature. They also uh, use it to justify budgets and to, to pass uh, important bills that are fire-related, anywhere from arson to fireworks to uh, residential sprinkler systems. Sure. And by the way, how many fires are attributed to arson? Well, I can tell you from 2017 to 2019 in the data that we've collected, intentional fires, those fires that we know were set, percentage of residential building fires resulting in injuries with cause determined, it's at 5.7%. Under investigation, 4.1%. So under investigation, can't really say that they're intentional yet. Uh, they're still being investigated, but those intentional fires are sitting at about 6%. And by the way, what is the total number of fires in that 10-year period? Total number of fires in the 10-year period, there were 7,200 residential building fires resulting in injuries. But if cooking results in the most fires, then there's the implication that electrical wiring, uh, heating systems are generally pretty good, and almost like in the airline industry, it's operator error that is the biggest cause. We find that in the world of electrical, we've gotten much better. I can go back and remember, well, I don't remember, but I remember reading, you know, when we started using electricity many, 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 many moons ago, uh, electricity was going to be the root of all evil. Um, and yes, there have been electrical problems. There have been electrical fires. There are things that happen. People rewire, uh, are not educated on electricity, how to rewire or uh, do different things, and that can lead to problems, to fires. But we're seeing that cooking is still that leading cause. All right. Well, and houses don't have fuses anymore that you can put a penny in <laughs> to get around the yeah. fuse and then cause a fire. So maybe that's a good thing. You look at electrical malfunctions, you know, for example, causes of residential fires resulting from en injuries. We'll use that one as an example. Electrical malfunctions, uh, percentage of residential fires resulting from injuries, 7.1%. So there, it's not high on the list. Uh, cooking still is the highest on the list. Sure. I guess it also says that if you want to do some wiring, probably hire an electrician. <laughs> you might get some... Well, it's always better to be safe than sorry. And absolutely, there are professionals that do this, that are trained, are well-educated in working with, you know, whether it be electrical or plumbing or gas lines, uh, hire the hire the professional. Um, they know what they we hope they know what they do, what they're doing. Uh, most of them are licensed to do this work, which means they've been trained in the business. Tanya Hoover is acting U.S. Fire Administrator at FEMA. Thanks so much. It was great to speak with you, and I encourage anyone, if they want information on fire safety, uh, reducing risk from fires and other hazards, please visit our website. We'll post this interview, along with a link to that report, at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcaster, wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. 
Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about, but that's should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change situations change and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was 
it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and... Um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, w- WAPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, 
we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.